What's up, you amazing viewers? I'm your host, Chronic, from the Cannabis Chronicles on all major streaming platforms, including YouTube. And I'm back with another amazing episode of the podcast brought to us by DNB Naturals and Hydro Bucket. Definitely show them some serious love as Visionary Hydroponics is making waves with the Hydro Bucket. And DNB Naturals is awesome with the CO2 and Kelptastic, if I do say so myself. And they have some pretty cool other products as well. Now, to get into this episode, I am actually talking to someone who i've got to do some seriously great episodes with on a previous show but we're going to be introducing him to this show and really bringing his company to just what the light of these viewers and what he's doing and what he's testing out there in cannabis and i want to give a big round of applause to none other than taylor robinson of rimrock analytical i mean just huge shout out for coming back on i really always enjoy our talks and it's always interesting to hear what you're kind of testing the analytical data you're running and also sex testing is a fun thing to chat about when it comes to cannabis and plants and just like botanical testing so thanks for coming on and chatting yeah man thanks again for uh for inviting me uh, always always happy to chat Absolutely. So you already know we like to break into the show with a fun question, and we're going to do the same thing on this show um, just to break into it. Let's go ahead and get what you've been chiefing on this last few months and maybe some of the, your favorite strains of 2023 so far. Yeah, I'm still playing around with the uh, – I have that line of Tangi and Fallen 97 I've been playing with. I got a lot of great feedback from, from my friends. Um, so I actually just got another cut of that cheering up in the background here um so really we've just been kind of focusing on getting that grow dialed in well, that's awesome man it definitely was a nice one to talk about last time guys and gals who if you haven't heard the episode we talked about a fall 97 times tangy cross fall 97 is one of my favorite crosses is actually uh one of the strains i work with um that i'm reading out is a fall 97 cross it's a bubble kush times fall 97 cross so huge fan of fall 97 not too many breeders are working with it it's kind of one of those strains that's kind of an underdog in the community in my um if you if i if i do say so myself (laughs) i think it's awesome it's definitely a heavy hitter and it's beautiful man the fall fade on fall 97 is absolutely gorgeous so really love that um now just to break into the episode let's kind of give these uh, viewers a little bit of backstory so what is rimrock analytical when did you found when did you start it and when was it founded and uh, what have you been up to in 2023 with plant testing as of, I guess, what's the most common test you're testing in 2023? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, Rimrock Analytical, a uh, service company that uh, I, I founded uh, about 2019, I would say, uh, is when I first got it kind of commercially uh, running. Um, serving the controlled environment ag community, uh, really with a focus on, on cannabis cultivation. Um, a lot of diagnostic testing. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the sex testing, early sex testing. That makes up a, a good portion of what we're doing. But uh, also pathogen detection, uh, other genotyping uh, services. And then we do a, a panel of you know, more chemical analysis, like nutrient analysis, heavy metals, things like that. Really, uh, our goal is to help growers and cultivators optimize their grow uh, with data. So uh, we, we cover a lot of different analytical processes around that. 
it's really really quite interesting i love how you sum it up so easily but like for my ears it's like oh my gosh you do so much you're so sciencey and it's like <laughs> always so crazy to hear but um your background in schooling is also phenomenal so um if you'd love to give the viewers just kind of your background and how you got to the position where you are how do you know all this information i mean you're 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 definitely seeming quite smart to the audience right now <laughs> <laughs> you're too kind um yeah, I started uh, at school, I, I studied molecular biology. My my kind of goal or my path originally, I was going to do cancer research and I did that for a time. Um, but uh, agriculture is always a, an important part of my life. Uh, my dad uh, had a, a nursery, a garden center. My whole family was in, in farming, uh, agriculture. Um, so that, that was always kind of a part of my life and uh, cancer research just with all the, the red tape and always looking for money and grants and all this stuff, it just kind of fell, fell out of favor. So um, I found, you know, through Rimrock and through this through this service, I was able to kind of combine the two, essentially doing a lot of the molecular research and kind of nerdy science stuff, but then combine that with a, a new passion or kind of a background passion for, for agriculture. Um, and now that, you know, legislation and things kind of easing up, uh, you know, a lot of the restrictions around growing cannabis, um, you know, it's really been an, an interesting thing. We're getting so much new information and new findings every day. I feel like you're finding a new headline on a research paper, you know, some new topic because we're finally able to, to get research out on this uh, that is really desperately needed. So it's really exciting, really interesting time. Oh, it definitely is. I couldn't agree with you more because you are right. Like, I swear, every time I, like, pull up cannabis news or, like, listen to a new podcast that is more, like, on the science-heavy, like, sector of cannabis, whether it's, like, testing, you know, CBG, CBC, all the new cannabinoids they're finding or whatever it is, it is crazy. There's always something new. Um, and it's wild because, like, I just got done doing a podcast with um, one of the one of the, the first dispensaries, well, not one of the first dispensary down in the Caribbean, and it's, it's crazy because here we are in like America with all this technology and testing and they don't even have it down there. So it's really like interesting how the headlines are shaping here and what we're finding. So what are kind of like the newer things that you are finding more recently? Are Is it more um, viral type stuff or is it going to be more of like you're finding specific um, properties within the plants? Um, yeah, a little bit of both, I would say. Um the emerging pathogen subject is is really interesting it's really dynamic um again you know the, the hops latent viroid was it's gotten a lot of buzz that one was uh detected the jump jump species essentially from from hops where it was originally found and known about since you know, 70s 80s um and now it's you know it's it's really showing up in a lot of different areas in cannabis um there's going to be more, I'm sure, um, particularly as the industry grows. Uh, you're going to see a lot more uh, opportunities for pathogens to kind of jump over and emerge and become problematic. Uh, so we're always you know, doing our best to, to screen for those and kind of stay on the forefront of, of assisting and monitoring emerging outbreaks. Um, as far as plant you know, changes in plants, you know, you mentioned ever more analysis into, you know, entourage effects and differences in trichome um, or terpene um, expressions, uh, different cannabinoids. We're finding all these different um, kind of uh, variances of the cannabinoids and minor cannabinoids that are present. Um, and so there's a lot of research and things to be done to see, you know, what the, those effects are. Um, uh, 
we're, we're focused a lot on kind of the genetic side of things, um, particularly things around the early sex determination. We're finding, um, you know, we, we want to offer a, a really robust analytical solution there. Um, and what we'll find is, you know, over time, some of the early primers, the, the early assays that were used in that, um, you know, they're susceptible to certain mutations you know, within that, uh, you know, the Y chromosome, essentially. Um, okay. So that had an impact on their, um, uh, you know, essentially how accurate they were. So always looking at ways to improve, you know, we're on our third iteration of primers now, um, always trying to adapt to the market and keep you know, accuracy levels as high as possible. Um, because as people continue to do new breeds and you know, we're seeing new genetic expressions come through, you, know, you, you have to kind of adapt with, with the industry and with the community. So that's something that we're always looking at. That's so interesting. It's something I never would have considered just for like genetic testing or just simple, like, I guess I shouldn't say simple sex testing, but like you, you would think like one of the more simplest tests, like you wouldn't have to adapt drastically every year based on like breeders. But that is kind of interesting that breeders are kind of affecting that in some sort of way, just whether it's muddying genetics or introducing new genetics or, you know, discovering new land races from other places that haven't been brought over to the U.S. Yeah, that's another big part of it, too, because I know a lot of people are starting to work with like North African land races and various other strains. So, man, that's going to make your job a little uh, fun and interesting over the next few years. So yeah. what's what's kind of like a, a fun thing that you're excited to test that you haven't necessarily got to test a bunch, but you think you're going to be testing a whole lot here soon? We're, the two big things that uh, looking to get to get more into is more in the chromatography. Um, so looking at things like terpene profiles and cannabinoid profiles, um, looking to do more of that. Um, and then also tissue culture uh, is something that we've been kind of dabbling in. Um, you know, it's not only is it you know something that more and more people are kind of requesting as a need, uh, kind of an underserved need, but. Um, just from kind of a strictly or clearly technical perspective, I think it's, it's super interesting um, seeing how that kind of interfaces with uh, remediation strategies for things like hopsalate and viroid potentially, um, and also just kind of genetic preservation of you know, cell lines. Um, so that's something that we've been playing with. I loved our chat last time when we got, got really in depth into uh tissue cultures and all of that man they're so crazy and i i love seeing them on um when people do like the up close magnifications of the actual i guess it would is it roots is it cells being developed like whenever it starts to actually spread across the plate and like grow and stuff like that that is like one of the coolest processes i think i've seen um it's definitely really cool and i know last time we talked about how there's a lot of people testing to see if you can take a tissue culture of a plant that has hops latent vi viroid viroid is it viroid am i saying right yep okay viroid. um and they're testing to see if they can potentially like essentially cure it out right am, am i wrong on that no no and that's what people have, have tried to do um you know it's not 100 percent effective uh, and tissue culture in itself kind of has a reasonably high failure rate um which is you know part it's part of the frustration but also part of the interest in in terms of trying to optimize that process um, but yeah, to my knowledge, that has been part of some of the remediation strategies for obsolete viroid. That's very interesting. And it would definitely be something game changing to both industries, not just uh, hemp, but, um, you know, your hop industry as well, because 
Um, I was talking to, about this particularly with um, Matthew Gates when he came on, and he was telling me the same thing that you said, and the same thing I'll reiterate here, which is what you guys, you had said, both of you said, is the um, one thing you guys, I remember you guys talking about, is when hemp gets to a large enough industry where it starts getting massive fields next to these massive hop fields that are being grown for the large alcohol producers and stuff like that. Like what happens when this new viroid or um, a new virus or something like that comes and wipes out um, a lot of the hops? I didn't realize like years and years back that hops almost got like completely annihilated, like the ones where the, the specific hops we use today because of the viroid. So it's definitely interesting to see what's happening. Now with your company and your um, dabbling into tissue culture, what are your success rates looking like with just the things you're dabbling in um, as far as what you guys are doing? Um, I, I would say they're they're kind of on par with with industry standards. I haven't really gone too in depth in analyzing uh, hops latent remediation. We're not commercially doing tissue culture right now, um, so really it's more optimizing different hormones and different media cultures, um, yeah, substrates. Um, so that's that's more where we're at. Cool, cool, cool. And you guys are still doing the full test on like the actual where people send in samples of the substrate and you guys are testing the microbiology of everything, right? And like doing the breakdown and telling them exactly what's in their soil and everything like that. Is that still something you guys are highly working with? Yep. Yep, absolutely. Um, our next gen sequencing full force we've got uh, before before I jumped on here, I just started a new prep. So we're, we're running those right now as we speak. Um, so yeah, that's that's certainly a, a big part of what we do as well. That's super exciting. So those listening and those viewing, um, what they essentially do is like, let's say you have a problem and you have like a living soil grow bed, or you have an issue with your outdoor soil or your greenhouse soil, whatever soil or grow medium you're using that is more on the organic side that has a microbiology that has living um, organisms working within it. Um, they actually test that to see the breakdown of, of the true microbiology of your soil so that if you do need to make adjustments, like let's say you do have um, something that is uh, competing with your um, microbiology and maybe putting out nutrients that you don't want or maybe causing some sort of inter interaction or interference that isn't necessarily causing the best or healthiest of growth they really do the breakdown of testing and um how many i remember you told me last time but on the sheet that they would get back the, the consumer would get back um how many things do you guys legitimately test i know there was like a long list that you had told me the first time yeah for for the med metagenomic sequencing that you're talking about um you know it, it varies so uh, microbial populations particularly in you know root zone environments soil environments uh, usually really complex you, there's a ton of stuff going on so you know we're talking hundreds or thousands of different genus of microbes that we typically find often what we'll do to to kind of help digest that is we'll we'll go through and do the work to kind of identify those that we you know we find is noteworthy um, whether they be pathogens or you know, common beneficials, because there are a lot of spectators too that really aren't participating in a meaningful way. Um, so we try to kind of weed through a lot of the noise for for you, but um, yeah, it's 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 a lot usually. <laughs> <laughs> That's so crazy, and like I don't know, you just really, for me the molecular molecular science and the microbiology is coming so far, just in all aspects of science, like whether it be for soil or be for just like 
the microscopes that are literally like going into like it looks like ant-man's world you know what i'm saying like literally going into like alter like just crazy crazy small 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 spaces and then you guys are able to like literally depict this and what's so cool to me is you are doing the due diligence of weeding through it so that a a consumer can go okay so i have this this and this and then they can come back to you and say hey i don't necessarily understand this why did you note this why is this noteworthy and you can tell them like oh you should definitely be considering that that's a pathogen in your garden maybe um you know and my question to you i guess would be when they come back to you with questions what is your advice for them do you point them in the direction of like an ipm specialist or like a pathogen specialist do you tell them how they could potentially fix these viruses or things that they have going on yeah, yeah, we always try to offer that additional la- layer of support, that backend support. Um, you know, I, f- I work uh, kind of in parallel with a water treatment company, um, so we do a lot of consulting through that. We do a lot of you know water management, um, assuming that you know pathogens and things may be originating in your your nutrient feed or your your water supply. Um, so yeah, we, we do our best to, to support and uh, make the data meaningful, right? So that's at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to get out of it is, is have your data and then be able to make decisions off of that. I like that. That's really awesome. It's not just like someone shoving a, a textbook of stuff you don't understand in your face and be like, well, this is what you paid for. Bye. Like, you know, you don't want to yeah. do that. That's never fun. But um, I like that you actually mentioned that pathogens could be potentially coming from the water it's something i complain to so many growers about about check your water check your water like so many growers will use tap water and if you're in these harsh states where it's like a limestone heavy state or you have heavy heavy minerals or uh they put a lot of chlorine in your water or if you're in flint michigan or uh like uh, anywhere where there's bad water and you don't want the stuff in your water in your body or in your plants it really will like your plants can your soil can be affected your yield can be affected the terpenes and medicine that you're trying to consume will really not be as uh heavy or potent even if you get to that i'm like sometimes water can absolutely kill plants before they even start you know germination process can go haywire all sorts of things now my next question is what's the most uh prolific pathogen that you discover in water for i guess Um... agriculture yeah, it, it, it's kind of a tricky question, but, um, you know, we see in particularly in like recirculating water systems. So if people are running hydroponics, um, you'll see things like fusarium pop up very often. Um, okay. You know, a lot of those root-borne pathogens, pythium. That's not to say that it's coming, originating from a municipal source, but that's an ideal environment for that uh, microbe to live and they find a way, right? And once they get into a system, it can be really tricky to get them out. Um, So when you're looking at, you know, nutrient reservoirs, recirculating hydroponic systems, um, you know, if you're not doing thorough cleanouts in between runs, um, they can accumulate and over time, you know, kind of develop into a problem. And that's a big key, guys. Um, So if you haven't gotten the drifts from all the hydroponic people I've had on the show or shows that I've done, every single one of them always mentions this particular thing. And um that is the truth man i've had issues in one of my systems years back that i didn't do a clean out after my first run and i did end up having severe root issues i had to break down the whole system i had to take all my plants out i had to rid all the hydrat and soak it um and then i had to essentially run like a bleach mixture through 
the entire system to clean and just like make sure I killed all the everything that was in there, anything that was in there. And then I had to rinse that out because I don't want bleach residue in any of my roots. So that was like a whole three day process in and of itself. Lots of water wasted, a lot of expense. So if you're going to run these recirculating systems and you're um, going to you're listening to Taylor and uh, he's telling you, hey, just be wary of these pathogens that you could build up. Water chillers are definitely a key to that and also the quality of pump that's recirculating your system because the, the more stagnant water, uh, the more chance it has to be become more um, you know, hotter temperatures, create that bacteria, just like stagnant water on plants. So um, what's kind of like the craziest thing you've ever tested in water that you're like, holy shit, this person has this in their water? I remember you telling me like some things you couldn't say last time, but yeah, I mean, we depends on the type of test we're doing. So that's, that's another interesting deal with uh, when we're using the NGS, the, the next gen sequencing process, um, because it is kind of agnostic to what we're looking for, uh, roughly speaking. Um, so we've seen a lot of you know, random human pathogens in water systems. We've seen, you know, things like protists and nematodes and stuff show up that oh, you, pr- wow. you probably don't want in your water system. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the ones that are more, you know, you, ex- you expect at some low level to see plant pathogens and, and grow, especially if you're looking at like mid-sized to larger growth. Um, yeah. But when you start seeing a lot of the human pathogens pop up, because people aren't looking for those usually, um, you know, you're, you're focused on the grow. So uh, every so often we'll see some, some stuff like that. That's kind Good of old hepatitis bad. coming through. <laughs> <laughs> Something, yeah. Oh, man, that's always got to be a fun time. And that's always got to make for a good email or viewer discretion on this, this, uh, this one. That's, uh, oh, man. And, and I'm sure like when it notes out in like a scientific reading, it's not like easy to just say like, oh, that's what that is, right? Like, like so do you have to like kind of tell them like, hey, you, you got the, you got the gross stuff, you know, fix your stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably want to, want to do a clean out here, even if it's not plant related just to, to get a reset going on. That's actually quite funny. I wonder how often, you know, we, we probably instantly go to like, oh, it's gross standards, but I wonder how like a lot of those like hiccups are like, like people germs just happens by like a hair falling in or like random things like that, that just cause, you know, they have the germs on the skin. Cause you know, our skin carries MRSA and staff at all times. Everybody just has their own different germs on our body. So I do wonder how much of that is from that or how much of it is from people trying to pee on their plants, thinking peeing on their plants is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No comment on that one, but um, <laughs> now you're right. I, I think a lot of those are from, outside contamination sources um yeah. you know there's microbes are everywhere there's <laughs> totally everywhere so uh, once they find a happy place they can really take off quickly it's so crazy and it's it's so interesting how you guys are really going to start seeing just like all sorts of weird random germs that are going to come about and i feel like that's going to happen because it is going to be well, I, yeah, this was one of my questions i didn't get to ask you and i'm glad it just popped in my head so when you breed a plant are we proving out that through seeds, like from a specific mother, if that mother has a specific viroids and or genes that are, let's say, subpar or carrying negative traits, are those going throughout all those seeds? And what's the chances or what's the percentage that you find of those negative traits in those first generation seeds generally from your, um, I guess, uh, test? Yeah, so a lot of, you know, if you're talking specifically about things like viroids, um, 
there has been evidence that shows that they are transmitted um, vertically through seeds. Okay. Um, I think we've seen you know, upwards of 10 or 20% of the seeds from an infected plant transmitting. Um, so when we essentially when we sprout those or germinate those, um, they're positive for the, the viroid as well. Um, it's, it's really specific to the microbe or the pathogen we're talking about. A lot of the, you know, the fungi and things like that, they're not going to be transmitted necessarily through you know, genetic lines like that. Yeah. Um, that's not to say, though, that if you're doing cloning um, from a mother plant, if the mom is infected, um, then you could, that's a different story than talking about you know, germlines. Um, genetic traits, that, that's also different. So, you know, a lot of the traits, most of the traits are inheritable depending on what you're crossing with. Um, so if there are negative, truly genetic traits, uh, chances are good that you're going to see that if, you know, depending on whether it's a dominant or recessive trait, you'll see that in you know, further lineages. Okay. And that, I guess that stems my next question because it definitely prompted me, made me think of like the whole um, uh, polyploid, which is essentially like the extra chromosome, I guess, in plants. Do you guys, are you guys like finding more um, unstable genetics with unstable chromosomes in this day and age? Or are you finding like, or when you do, have you ever tested a polyploid? And what, what is testing a polyploid kind of like? Is that like an interesting thing in a botanical science? Uh, definitely interesting. Um, so, you know, you, you're accustomed to going through school and you learn about human genetics where we're, you know, diploids, we have two copies. Um, and then you look at plants and they have really, a any number of, of copies, you know, things like bananas and strawberries have a huge amount of, you know, copies. And so they have a ton of, ton of DNA. Um, that's not something that we're directly measuring typically um, as part of our services. We're really looking more at specific genes uh, when we're doing genotyping. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is, it's fascinating. Plant genetics are, are wild and in their own accord. <laughs> they definitely are. And I always love seeing like the little polyploid tops. They look so cool, man. They're just like so unique and interesting and like, they just look fuzzy and fun. <laughs> I don't know. They're just, there's definitely something else, but what's your, I guess what's a really fun genotype or expression that you really like to test or test out or prove out or um, what's something for you right now that really has your passion of just kind of like diving into the science behind it and, and something that you really like finding the rarity of or finding the expression of? Um, yeah, good question. So in terms of genotyping, you know, I would classify the, the early sex determination as a type of genotyping process. Um, and, you know, it, by, by default, it almost needs to be a passion of mine. As mentioned, you know, trying to stay on top of uh, mutations within those target genes and identifying, you know, potentially other gene targets to make sure that the accuracy of that is, uh, that service, that assay is, is high. Um, so what you'll find is, uh, they call them SNPs, so single nucleotide polymorphisms is the technical term, but essentially what it means is you're, there's a mutation in one base in a gene. Um, so one of those four letters uh, that make up the genetic code and you know those can tend to accumulate over time just randomly this is not something necessarily that people are, are intentionally doing um, but that can cause issues if that's on kind of your binding site for uh, an assay a genotyping assay like this um, you know that's where we kind of run into some issues uh, potentially so um, just keeping an eye on that doing 
instead of just doing kind of the qPCR assay, doing actual uh, sequencing to see what those genes are looking like and kind of monitoring the trends. You know, if, if a certain strain comes out that has a mutation on that uh, gene, uh, it becomes popular. We start seeing more of those. You know, that's a trigger for us to, all right, we need to kind of tweak our, our assay here to make sure that we're still you know, binding and, and showing uh, these genomic expressions properly. And can you see this under microscope or is this all done using like data analysis through tests and various chemical tests? Yeah, so this is this is directly um, on the genetic level. So this is smaller than something that you could see on a microscope. So what we're doing is we're either doing uh, sequencing, actual genetic sequencing that tells you the order of the base pairs uh, for a That's section so of genes or we're doing what is called uh, PCR. So PCR is another molecular tool where you're using a primer um, that binds to a specific section of a gene um, and amplifies that so you can see a signal. Uh, so it's good for uh, quantitation of that gene, but also presence absence. Um, so that's useful in things like pathogen detection, sex determination, uh, specific genes like uh, cannabinoid or THC synthase genes. Um, things like that where it's important to know presence, absence, and general gene quantification. Okay, so it's you're all... kind of like, one is like the super in-depth long list of what the like DNA strand looks like and is, and then one's kind of an ampli amplification of a specific section of that strand? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good way of saying it. And, uh, you know, for the sex testing, uh, going back to that example, um, you know, cannabis is somewhat unique in the plant world that it has a X and Y determination for its sex. Um, and so if you have a Y chromosome, you're male. And so what we're doing essentially is just, is that chromosome there? Or is a gene in that chromosome there or is it not? Um, so if it's there, you have a male. If it's not, uh, it's, you know, by deduction, it's a female. And we do another, uh, what we call an internal control that's just on kind of a vanilla cannabis gene to say that the assay worked. So you always have that amplified. Okay. Um, but yeah, when that's amplified, then you say, you know, you can deduce you know, certain genetic traits like that. Okay. And would, so if you were testing someone's plant and let's say their plant is a true hermaphrodite, would that show up under that testing as like a double X or a double Y or anything like that? Or how does that look uh, like, how do hermaphrodites look? in your tests, I guess. Yeah, hermaphrodites is another tricky one. So hermaphrodites, genetically speaking, are female. So they're double X. Um, there's another kind of complicated molecular process or biochemical process that contributes to them having pollen expression, essentially. So they're still making a flower, but they, they generate pollen as well. Um, those ones are tricky. They, they come up every so often. Um, there's also kind of a abiotic stress response. So you can have a plant that's genetics that's kind of susceptible to hermaphrodism, mm, um, but okay. they don't show it until all of a sudden they're stressed. You know, you they they run dry on water, the temperature's off, or you know, some sort of stress, and then you can see that they trigger this kind of hermaphroditic response. Um, so those ones are really tricky. Um, kind of TBD on assays that are you know equipped to 
to identify those early on because it's kind of like a, a hidden time bomb in a lot of cases. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, it, it, that definitely makes your job harder when they show up as like, they show up as what you're hoping to be tested. You know, you, you get a female response. You're like, oh, you got a female in the guard. And all of a sudden, it's it's not the female you want. So it's like, yeah. uh, it's not always the best response. But that's, that's crazy. I always wondered that. I didn't know if they showed up with like an extra, you know, like a hormone or if they showed up with like an extra you know chromosome or something but i know extra chromosomes like the down syndrome or like the polyploid type like effect with the plant so i guess my question to you is like i see i know what it looks like in cannabis but what other plants have you seen the expression of extra chromosomes and what do they kind of look like like what would a tomato with an extra chromosome look like have you seen one um yeah i mean there's the plants have genetic diseases just like anything um it, for, <laughs> for things I that are polyploid, <laughs> <laughs> for things that are polyploid, um, yeah, it really depends on which chromosome you're talking about. Um, so, you know, it, it, it may be less impactful um, when you know you have multiple, multiple copies of chromosomes. If you end up with another one, usually okay. it's not a, it's not a good thing in the sense that you know it, it can kind of quote-unquote confuse uh you know the normal cell division processes and things like that but um yeah it's it's varied i would say oh oh i that just made me just as you said it can affect the varying processes i totally had a question that i remembered as well albinism or albinoism or however you want to say it in plants and cannabis so do you guys have you ever tested the a plant with like true um like i guess like albinoism in cannabis like is that like what does that look like yeah i i haven't personally done that um you know my understanding is that there's kind of a reduced expression of chlorophyll and a lot of the pigment molecules um like you know in humans it's it's a reduction in the production of melanin is my understanding so you see you know kind of you don't see the coloration in hair and eyes and, and skin um, so likewise, plants have a whole classification of different pigments that they can uh, produce. And so my understanding is that, you know, albinism in plants would be related to that, you know, expression okay. of those. Um, plants are interesting, interesting though, too, because they have multiple pigments, um, you know, they can express those differently and they can do that. You know, it's very apparent when you see, you know, even in like the fall, plants changing colors in the, the fall is a, a shift in expression of, you know, chlorophyll and other um, pigments, um, carotenoids, so you, so you see and that. Yep. all that fun stuff. Yep, exactly. So that's that's kind of a natural progression of different pigmentation expression, but um, you know, variances in that uh, you see is different genetic maladies, I guess, if you will. Gotcha. I always wondered if you got to test one and saw it under like data analysis because a they don't last long. Like if you do have a true albino plant, it's gonna die because it can't take in chlorophyll and do like the processes it needs. But right. man, I've seen a couple um, on forums where people get them to like maybe I would say like twenty inches in height, and then they start going full white on them, and they are the craziest looking uh, things. And I always wondered like what was the genetic expression in that plant to make it do that when like the rest of their like they these people would have like 30 40 plants of the same seed and only that one you know went and it's like it's just like humans it's just like that one human that just decides okay i'm gonna just go ahead and lack of melanin but like that's like for me i i know it's something linked to genetics and it's just so curious i i'm always such a curious person and i love listening to just like people talk about the genetic history of cannabis and with 
genetic testing nowadays being what it is, I know people are starting to prove out actual lines being like the true genetics of a skunk, you know, the true genetics of this and like the actual real thing. So have you guys gotten to any of that type of testing where you're like actually doing genealogy testing on those specific lines or is that something you're kind of straying away from and leaving to other people? Um, we, we've done it. Um, it's not something that we do regularly. Um, it, it is still, you know, genetic analysis has come a long ways in terms of uh, accessibility and cost and things like that. Um, I think in what we found, you know, we were kind of going down that path. I think we might be still a little early just in kind of cost and approachability to a lot of, especially smaller growers. Um, but I certainly see that as going to be more and more mainstream where people will you know, in, in terms of having a COA with cannabinoid and terpene profiles, having an addition to the COA that shows genetic lineages and all of the, the different uh, genetic background behind plants, um, I, I certainly see that in, in the future. I think we're still, it, it's available now, but I think we're still a little early before it's widely available. Yeah, a little pricey on the pocketbook for a lot of growers, for sure. But it's definitely yeah, yeah. worth it. Like, I know it's one thing I told myself whenever I start getting lines that become popular and, you know, sell, you know selling those lines and, and really honing in. Once I have the paycheck to do so, I definitely will test it because it is something. I've seen a couple breeders do it so far, and, man, it's just so cool to see the results. And, like, when they actually truly do prove out to what they are, and then you get to see it even further because the database for the plant genealogy is actually growing so much which is so cool and i think i can't remember if it's switzerland or if it's the netherlands but someone out in the the european area is uh working with collecting uh dna analysis of all the european land races and plants out there which is really really cool because once that's able to be a shared kind of thing between the states or like these various places man just thinking about all the cool genetics that we will be able to prove out as well as making rimrock analytical and other various uh labs out there having this new uh wave of tests to kind of like play around with and get like involved in honestly that that could be as popular as a sex testing test because i know I purchase sex tests, like whenever I'm full breeding, I probably purchase at least 40 sex tests every six months, I would say roughly on average, just to make sure I'm pheno hunting like quickly. And I would say if I could go and purchase a lineage test for every one of my lines, like once a year, I'd probably would. Yeah. <laughs> if it was affordable, you know? So for that's sure. definitely, uh, that's definitely something exciting to come far. Now, we are hitting about the 37 to 40, 40 minute mark here. So I wanted to, instead of just being full analytical talk, I do want to leave you with some fun questions here at the end because we've had some cool chats in the past and I always got to ask you some fun stuff. Sure. So you are a cultivator. You've been having, uh, you've grown and you've been growing. Any hiccups this last year? Or any fun instances of grower headaches? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say grower headaches are kind of uh, part and parcel to the whole process. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, so I, I've been doing a lot of soil, um, and I have an auto feeder for. I just have like a nutrient res that I do. Um, I did. Uh, I left it to the robot, so to speak, a little bit too much. I was a little too hands off and the, the pH got all off. Um, I was able to recover from it, but the plants were looking pretty sad there for a minute. Um, I'm going to switch over. My plan is to try DWC again for the next run, just to kind of play around. I haven't done it in a while, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be fun. And I always love to kind of nerd out on the 
the minutiae details of testing the nutrients and you know kind of taking a deep dive and everything um so i'm looking forward to that for sure hell yeah that's exciting you you literally pulled to me i ended up killing like six of my plants because i forgot to water because i was working so you know same thing ph underwatering i mean you know we all have those headaches so no that's great i'm actually switching over to dwc myself so we'll be dwc buddies out here oh, awesome. uh, rocking some uh some roots and water i i will say i i am a sucker for uh hydroponics because i love Personally, I love looking at the root mass. It's so cool just seeing that freaking big old root mass just forming and just blossoming and growing. But then it's also not cool when you see your root mass covered in slime and you're like, shit, what did I do? <laughs> so, uh, but yes, that uh, that's always going to be fun. So now if you're going to swap over to DWC, what kind of nutrients are you going to rock and what kind of plan are you going to kind of tackle uh, your nutrients with? Like how much are you going to be feeding early on? Yeah, so I've got a I've got a unique opportunity. So the the very first yeah the very first grow I think I ever did I did a D, DIY DWC kit. Um, just put it together, got some pumps and air stones, and kind of built this thing. And actually, for a first run, I thought it did pretty well. Um, this this run, um, I've got an opportunity to try out. Uh, a device called Planturn. Um, so it's a kind of a self-contained DWC um, apparatus that you know basically you can put in your your crop steering profile and all your different environmental set points, and it'll kind of maintain all of that for you. Um, so I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be experimenting with kind of a couple different nutrient lines. Going to do some uh, some kind of baseline with General Hydro, but then looking at some some others. Um, just to, to kind of see what works best. And I'll be running a bunch of plants kind of in parallel and you know, tweaking the different parameters and, and seeing what goes from there. That's always fun. You're essentially, man, we're like doing the same things. I'm not, uh, I, I'm not rocking the, the plant turns. Those are cool. I'm gonna have to look those up. That's actually a pretty cool name for a product. That's that's a pretty nifty <laughs> there. I'm using hydro buckets, but um, just simple DWC setup, no recirculating, just all individual buckets. Um, I'm just doing, for feed, I think this round, it's just going to be, I have some liquid stuff from, um, what was there? I don't remember. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll put, guys, gals watching, if you're watching, I'll put it on screen because my brain can't remember. I ran them a couple times, but it's a liquid formula and they're like a all natural, like more on the all natural salt blend for the liquid stuff. I'll have to send you them. They were actually really good. So if you are testing stuff, they're they're pretty solid. Um, yeah, but I'm using sure. them with a little bit of, uh, what's the other thing? Microbial mass. There we go. I had to I had to remember what the liquid one for hydroponics was. I got used to great white myco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got used to all the soil microbials. But yeah, that's what I'm gonna kind of rock. Are you doing any uh, liquid microbials for you? Or are you just gonna keep it straight up, like uh, just dialed in, changing reservoirs biweekly kind of thing? Um, I, I'm gonna do both. I'm gonna do both okay. and, and try them out. Um, I've got some some clones running right now, so I'll have the same strain, and it, it'll be interesting not only to see kind of. Uh, different environmental set points, but you know all these different inputs to, to kind of see at the end of the day what kind of yields we get and how the plants how the plants perform. It's gonna be nice. And you're uh, on which generation now with your strain? Is it still first generation? Or are you down to like a third generation line? Um, this one is uh, yeah, third. Third is what I've got running right now. Um, so yeah, like like I said, it kind of fell into my lap. Um, 
didn't, I wasn't really looking for it, but a friend had, had a cut and he's like, Hey, you know, want to try this out? And every, I grew it out and everybody really liked it. So I'm like, oh, I'll just keep this going for a little while. That's awesome. That's always a happy find, man. I've, uh, I collected, there was like the glue ball that I ended up breeding with. I collected from Mammoth Farms out here in Colorado. It was just the, I went in and she's like, yeah, we got five or what they say? I think they had 10 cuts. They only had three cuts left when I had went, went in there. And she's like, yeah, like all of us have purchased all the cuts. So these aren't customers who bought them. And I'm like, no way. She's like, yeah, we never get glue ball and I'm taking these. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, let me get some of these. Like, hell yeah. And it, it grew out really nicely. The Fino they had here uh the breeder chose really nicely and that's actually how i found my fall 97 strain was um through the same people she had called me and she's like hey we got a fall 97 cut up here like do you want to come check it out and it was a gorgeous cut and it definitely was a really nice you know i put it through the test and it was hardy so it's always nice when your friends hook you up with some cuts or you find some good cuts right yeah totally <laughs> so what what i guess the last fun question um that i'm gonna leave you with and it has to do with rimrock analytical analytical wow man i'm stuttering today what is the one big event convention expo or test that you would like to have on your uh repertoire um, in 2023 or your resume in 2023 uh, for Rimrock Analytical? Are there any events that you would like to go to? Is there any big things you would like to participate in? Yeah, I, I haven't identified any specific uh, events. I know there's some seed expos and seed exchanges coming up here in the Denver area soon. Um, so I've been talking with some people, kind of preliminary uh, talks to see if we can be involved with that. I'd love to, to get more events here locally in kind of the greater Denver area. Um, we were at Indoor AgCon uh, in Vegas earlier in the year, which really isn't specific to cannabis. There's a lot of cannabis uh, you know, centric businesses out there. But um, I think this year, uh, as far as developments for Rimrock, um, you know, I mentioned terpene analysis um, mm-hmm. and uh, tissue culture are really the two big ones um, that we're really exploring and trying to, to you know, perfect those, so to speak, and get those a wider audience that's a, that's gonna be amazing because terpene analysis i think is my the one that i'm most of all the tests i'm most intrigued by the terpene analysis ones because uh i think it's really important for people to start getting the actual percentages of or like what's in their terpenes or like what terpenes are in their plant and reside um so uh i guess what are some of the cooler terpenes that you've been able to test like high amounts of or like what is that Oh, man, let me rephrase that question. What is the process of going and testing uh, for terpenes? Like, how fragile of a process is it? How long of a process is it? Is it a very extensive one? Like, kind of give us, I guess, a quick, you know, pr- uh, the extraction of, or testing of terpenes for dummies, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, yeah, it, it- it's a little tricky in the sense that, you know, just with everything cannabis related, um, you know, in, in more established industries, you'll have standard methods that are you know, well established, they're validated, and you can really kind of go to look at that as kind of a cookbook or a recipe to follow for different analysis. Uh, even simple, what you might think is simple things like doing the extraction process or doing the, you know, plant tissue homogenization process. Um, there early on, there was a lot of variance in that, and it was leading to a lot of issues downstream on what your results look like. Because if Lab A is, you know, breaking down their material one way, and Lab B is doing it a different way, even though you're following kind of the same analytical metric in the middle, you can get totally different results. So, 
um, you know, kind of looking at what the consensus methods are for for those is a big part of what we're doing now. Um, but just just in brief, you know, you're doing extraction. You're using a solvent essentially uh, on the broken down plant material, a uh, known amount of that material. You're you're adding a solvent to basically put those different organic molecules into suspension, and then you're running it through what they call a HPLC. Uh, which is a high-performance liquid chromatography. Uh, that's the analytical device. What that does is you you move that uh, that solution through a column that basically I don't know if you remember playing as a kid where you could do like a marker on a coffee filter and then put water on it and all the colors separate. Oh uh, yeah, I that's, remember that. That's a type of chromatography. So you're basically oh. you're splitting things up based on some parameter, whether that's charge or whether that's size of those molecules. Um, okay. how they interact through that column. And then there's a detector at the end. So they kind of, they, everything's separated and you can detect each individual compound as it comes out. And so not only can you use that to identify what that compound is based on methods and standards that you had programmed in essentially, but you can see how much is there uh, based on how big that peak is. That's um, actually really cool. And so like, it, it, it'll do like individual, like, yo, this amount of mercine, this amount of like, blah, blah, blah. It just detects it. Yeah, it detects it. So you, you need to have a reference standard. So that's a trick too. You need to have all of the different terpenes that you're going to test for. You need to have a known standard that you're basically building out that method. Um, oh. And How so does that work if there's like, so is that known standard something you have to rely on other people having established in the industry or something that you have established? Yeah, there's, there's companies that that's their whole business is they just have standards of pretty much anything you can imagine. Um, so you go through there and there's a, you know, there's a whole um, uh, custody process that shows that these are certified standards for, for different things. The good thing with terpenes is those aren't unique to cannabis necessarily. A lot of terpenes you find in, in all sorts of plants. Lemons, um, oranges. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So those are a little easier to get at. Uh, uses very similar, if not the same process for cannabinoid analysis. Oh. Again, big organic molecules that you're, you're trying to identify. But those are much more tightly controlled to get your hands on those standards, right? Okay, okay. Um, because those aren't found in other <laughs> other plants necessarily. So um, so you're fighting for them. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you got to go through the legal channels to get those. But um, so for the terpene analysis, at least in that regard, it's a little a little more straightforward. Okay. That's actually really cool. So that's that's uh, it definitely is a more straightforward process than I was expecting. I was expecting like a lot more steps. Uh, I didn't know it's just like a not as simple as like a solvent based like a kind of extraction method, almost like BHO in a sense, but where you're yeah. suspending um, it in the air. That's actually really cool. Is it a solvent like BHO or, or ethyl ether? However you say that, I don't know what. It, people use that stuff for but yeah is it something like that or is it like carbon based yeah it'll be a, it'll be a hydrocarbon usually uh it depends on the column you're using um but yeah i, I mean I've, I've grossly oversimplified the process if there's any analytical chemists out there they're probably shaking their head but they're mad at me making you oversimplify it no i know there's like 18 bajillion more steps probably to it and you have probably it's probably immensely important how clean and non like you don't quote mess up the transfer of it i'm sure handling your product is probably a big one because you don't want to break open trichrome heads necessarily i'm not sure how does that work exactly 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you need to know what mass you started with, and you need to know when you're extracting that, that essentially all of that extract is getting into your, your process for analysis. If there's any losses throughout that process, um, you know, that's going to show up as a, a lower, you know, suppressed result at the end of the analysis than what's true, true and accurate. So, yeah, you do have to be careful and mindful on kind of how you're handling and processing the sample on the front end. Okay, so yeah, I mean, a lot of goes into it. And how many hours of your work week, on average, are you doing? Are you splitting your time between your sex test? Because I know that's a big one for you. Um, as well as uh, there was another test. Uh, you said the hops test. I think the hops latent viroid test. And there was one more that you told me that you spent a lot of time on. So what are like your four main tests that you're running through your week? What's like a normal week look like for you at Rimrock Analytics? Yeah, the, the, the sex tests are every day. Um, those are coming in, but we have that process pretty well streamlined right now. So that's a you know, well-established workflow. Um, so that's kind of always running in the background. Um, pathogen detection is uh, probably the next most common. Uh, we do a lot of microbial screens, whether it's just media culture and or you know, specific um, uh, pathogen detection like hops latent viroid or, or you know, Pythium fusarium. Um, yeah. And we talked the, about that one, the first one. I'm sorry to cut you off. What was yeah, the yeah. Uh, what what is that one again? Because uh, I remember looking that one up, but I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. What's that? The test? The epithium? Cause, oh god, how do I say that? The epithium thing? Pythium test? Yeah, 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 yeah. We we can do uh, for pythium. We usually do what's called ELISA, um, which is an enzyme based or a, it's an immunological based uh, test. Um. So the way that works is basically you're using antibodies actually that will selectively bind to you know, species of, for the genus uh, Pythium. And then you can amplify signal to see presence, absence, and general amount um, using that method. So it's, it is totally different than something like PCR that's looking at specific genes. Um, but yeah, we do both of those. That's so wild, man. You guys do so much cool testing and it, it you you just know your you know your stuff really well, man. You're very well educated. You definitely for me, I would be mislabeling shit in my lab all day long like handling all that stuff. I'd be like, "Yeah, this is the Pythium test and it's not the Pythium test." <laughs> so, uh, no, that's that's actually really cool though. Um I I'm pretty sure I remembered every question that I forgot the first time. And then there was one question a guest had that uh, they commented on my YouTube last time and they wanted me to ask you, do you ever test your own plants in your own house? Or do you have a little lab at your own house where you do testing for yourself? People wanted to know. I, I definitely um, utilize my access to a lab to test all, all of my stuff. Uh, that's definitely a, a perk of the job, I would say. Um, so yeah, I'm always always doing pathogen screens, always doing nutrient analysis. Um, if nothing else, I, I feel like it's a good way to to kind of help validate methods too. Um, you know, I, if if we're doing something new for the first time or we're trying to tweak a method or something, um, you know, having access to real you know, quote unquote real world samples uh, that I can screw up potentially before before offering that to people. Um, but I. I take that opportunity and test my own stuff for sure that's awesome man I, I i wouldn't blame you for doing it you'd kind of be dumb if you didn't right so it's definitely <laughs> uh definitely cool and i really have enjoyed this episode man we're uh, the last little thing for you to do is just essentially tell everybody where they can find you on social media and then 
you get to tell everybody their piece of life advice like I always ask you. <laughs> <laughs> piece of life, yeah. Um, yeah, our website is, is where we like to push, uh, you know, traffic in terms of, you know, we have educational resources there. We have our online store there. Uh, that's rimrockanalytical.com. Uh, pretty simple there. Um, active on Instagram. Uh, I think it's rimrock underscore analytical. Uh, should be able to find us. We're also on LinkedIn and some others, uh, a little less active on those. Um, but yeah, yeah, Rimrock Analytical. Um, you can look us up. Feel free to drop us a line. Always happy to chat or address any questions you guys may have. Uh, you can contact us directly through those. Um, life advice. Um, yeah, I forget what my first response was earlier in the <laughs> our, our previous previous deal. Um, I'll say it's fresh on my mind right now. I'm going through taxes and all the the legal stuff, and it's it's just like melting my brain um so i, I guess my advice this go around is, is just keep pushing when, when you're when you're come up against something that's frustrating or sticky or you know kind of frustrating you and you feel like uh things just aren't working out just keep pushing and uh get through it <laughs> i love that man i love how you say taxes and then you say keep pushing because damn dude it is not easy doing your own taxes and especially if you're running a business like you are and yeah. dude I've just the amount of people I've talked to about running cannabis businesses and then the taxes at the end of the year. Good luck. You guys, man, it's a wonder you're not gray already. <laughs> no, for real though. I uh, Good luck with those taxes. I know it's tax time. Everyone out there is probably stressing, but keep pushing is a really good quality uh, life advice. Actually, that's probably one of the more popular uh, pieces of advice for a lot of the cannabis advocates on the show and on the previous show. Um, everyone really kind of likes to have that self-motivation, you know, stay true to yourself, have that resolve, keep pushing through, stay strong, you know, don't give up. It's really good advice. And it life 1000% is about testing you. I don't care if you think you have a spoiled life or not at some point in life is going to test you and you need to keep pushing. So that's uh, been a really wonderful episode, Taylor. Thanks for coming on. And we will definitely be having some future chats. And now that I am back to a normal schedule here out in Colorado, maybe I'll have to skedaddle over to your labs, what you're doing, and maybe uh, film some cool shit with you and, and show the viewers how badass of a, of a, of a man you are behind the scenes. <laughs> Cooking up those tests, my man. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. And uh, thanks again. Always a pleasure. Uh, really appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. Guys, be sure to go smash that like button, comment down below to show Taylor some serious love for coming on to the show. And please go check out rimrockanalytical.com. They have a wonderful website. Get your sex testing done. He has amazing prices. They really are a great company, um, and he is working very hard. He has worked very hard since 2019 to make this company something uh, big and better and, and bold in here in Colorado and around the U.S. So, yeah, definitely check him out. Give him some serious support. And be sure to turn that subscribe button and notification button on so you never miss out on another show that we bring to you. And by we, I mean me, because I am Chronic from the Cannabis Chronicles on Instagram and YouTube. And this show you guys watch on all major streaming platforms. So without further ado, much love, happy growing, and peace, everyone. Peace.